Welcome to the Stories Told Podcast. This is episode 52. More of this. This is the Stories Told Podcast. Two authors talking about stories in movies, TV, and of course, books. I'm Michael Grayford. I write action-adventure stories in fantasy and sci-fi worlds, sometimes for younger readers and sometimes for adults. And I try to always inject at least a little bit of humor. And I am author E.W. Barnes, and I write action-adventure time travel novels and space opera science fiction. Thousands of years, thousands of worlds. But be forewarned, beyond here, there will be spoilers. Are you ready for the adventure? Let's begin. Welcome back to the Stories Told podcast. I'm author E.W. Barnes, and with me is author Michael Grayford. And today we're talking about the story told in the 2010 film, How to Train Your Dragon. How are you doing today, Mike? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing well, too. Thank you. And what's new in your writing world? The writing world uh, is nothing new. (laughs) It's continuing with the same. Still working on the sequel to The Golden Scarab of Ballyhar. I'm about halfway through um, of the first draft. And that's pretty much it. Other than that, just continuing to promote Vela and tweak ads and things like that. Nothing too exciting. What's going on in your writing world? But you know what? Forward momentum is awesome. So congratulations on that. Yeah, that's true. Uh, same, same kind of thing. Forward momentum. I now have about 12,000 words left in the second book of the Empyrean Guard series, which is a, a, my space opera series. And I have uploaded nine chapters of the fourth book in my Temple Protection Corps series, the audiobook for that story. I've op- uh, uploaded the ninth chapter, and I'm working on the tenth chapter today. So yeah, same kind of thing. Just consistently keep going. Cool. And as a reminder to our listeners, you can read the first book in the Tales of Zara on both Kindle Vela and as a Kindle ebook and paperback on Amazon. And also read The Adventures of the Imperian Guard as it's being drafted on Patreon. And those links will be in the show notes. So what interesting stories have you come across lately in books, movies, or television? Let's see. I have been watching the second season of the Wheel of Time series. I st- yeah. So I, I didn't read the books. I, re- I, I read the first book, The Eye of the World, I think it was. And it just, it didn't grab me. So I wasn't super interested in it. But I'm enjoying the show, actually. I like... Uh, the the first half of season two is a little slow, but then it starts getting going, and the latter half so far has been much better. I know that's probably heresy to anyone who's read the books. I know a lot of people love the books, but they're just too slow for me to get into. Yeah. Uh, at least, you know, and, and I've heard the Wheel of Time series strays quite far from where the books were. So a lot of people who read and love the books aren't happy with the series, but I didn't. You know, I didn't. I don't know the whole story of the Wheel of Time in the books, so the series works fine for me. I'm enjoying it. Actually, a similar kind of 
report because the second season of Halo will be coming out, gosh, I think tomorrow. So we've been re-watching season one. And similarly, I have never played the video game, so I don't know the story of the lore there. And I understand that this series kind of deviates from the lore of the video game, which is frustrating to fans of the video game, and I completely respect that. However, coming to it without that background knowledge, it is just good science fiction in and of itself. But I totally understand frustration. But I have to say, I'm enjoying the television show. Yeah, that's great. Are you ready to talk about how to train your dragon? I am. Let's do it. Today we're talking about the story told in the 2010 film, How to Train Your Dragon. And here is the brief synopsis that comes up when you type into Google, How to Train Your Dragon. Hiccup is a Norse teenager from the island of Burke, where fighting dragons is a way of life. His progressive views and weird sense of humor make him a misfit, despite the fact that his father is chief of the clan. Tossed into dragon fighting school, he endeavors to prove himself as a true Viking, but when he befriends an injured dragon he names Toothless, he has a chance to plot a new course for his people's future. Did you like this movie? Yeah, I love this movie. It's so much fun. Very simple story, obviously, but you know, it's, it's extremely enjoyable. I thought, from the very beginning, I thought they do a great job at setting up the world right off the start. We get to see the character, you know, in their distressed state at the beginning, which they try to break free from, you know, over the course of the story. I thought they did that really well. The setup's all fun. We get a sense of the world really quick. We get a sense of the characters. Yeah, great job introducing everything. And then we get introduced to the dragon Toothless, who is super cute. Reminds me of a cat. (laughs) Very fun uh mannerisms yeah so i liked all that and i like i like where it goes i like i like the pacing of it i thought it propels you into the story very quickly the characters are all fun um and it just you know it it went by fast i felt like it got in and out really quick which is good you don't want to feel like the story is dragging and i think there's some good messages in the story using brain versus brawn right thinking through your problems sort of the engineering approach that we see personified. I thought that was a a good idea. And then there's a respect for animals as a message. I called it compassion versus smashing. (laughs) You, you know, work with these creatures instead of trying to kill them. (laughs) Figure out what their problem is and help them out. Uh, So that was a good message. And then being yourself was like another core theme to the story. Don't let other others force you into being something that you're not. Another good message. And the interesting thing about this story is, although it it felt like it, I it wasn't really a hero's journey story, I don't think. It was less a story of Hiccup's growth and more a story of how he affects those around him, which is nice. Is that I, I like change up stories like that um hiccup is what i call a stalwart or a steadfast hero where he basically remains true to himself 
um, doesn't change a whole lot over the course of the story, but instead instigates growth in others. And that's a cool that's a cool message as well. Kind of it's subtle and it's in the background. It's not so much about he has to do this thing and save the world. It's like he has to because of who he is. He doesn't have to, but he ends up doing the thing that's necessary, which is enabling the growth of the people around him. Not just the people, but the dragons as well. So I thought that was really cool. And overall, yeah, I, I very much like this story. What are what are your thoughts? That's a fantastic analysis. Well done. Um, I was actually, I thought it was striking how similar it was to Ready Player One in a lot of ways. You know, the, the uh, movie we talked about in our previous podcast episode, in that we had this sort of misfit trying to accomplish a goal on behalf of his community and eventually pulling in together others to help with that goal and succeeding. I thought there was some really interesting echoes for a very sort of different world, right? You had the virtual world versus the Viking world. And I like what you said about the stalwart character. I think that's really well-defined. Uh, some of the other things I really loved were the, the world-building that took place in the use of language. Like Burke. I think Burke has a meaning. I think it means, you know, kind of like jerk. <laughs> I'm not sure. I didn't look it up. But I got the impression that that's what the word means. And then the other language that's used to describe their life there and the sort of wry humor that the tone of how the world building takes place is delightful and it's carried through throughout though it starts off sort of wry and humorous but then it becomes very you get engaged you're in you're involved and it becomes that these are no longer just humorous names but they're actually the humor you become to care for these people through the humor that's used to describe them. I thought that was really well done. And that's an interesting trick, right? As you move on to really start to be connected while the wry humor is still in place. I thought it was well done. I had brain over brawn in my notes too, but one of the things that I added was, is that I think both the, the, the village learned the value of Hiccup's brain and Hiccup to some degree, I think, came to respect the value of the brawn. You know, he was always put off, he was put off by his dad's brawn, right? At the very beginning, when he's talking about Stoic the Vast, he's describing him in, again, with wry humor, but it, it, it sort of separates him from his dad because of his dad's brawn and his overt brawny Vikingness. But at the end, we see Stoic using his brawn to, after he recognizes what the right path is, to save Toothless and to help fight the giant dragon. I mean, so there was like this message of the value of both. They can be used in concert to benefit everybody. So I kind of liked that. I also thought it was really interesting how, you know, we talked about this, I think, last week or the week before, about how, actually, it was during Stardust, when we were talking about Stardust, about how you can have early on in a story a character that essentially tells the main character what their truth is. And then the story can be finding that truth. And while I agree with you, Hiccup remains the same. There is a truth about Hiccup that Hiccup discovers and acknowledges. And that is what his dad said to him. You are not a dragon killer. 
He says that almost like within the first five minutes. Right. And it turns out to be true. His dad is pointing out a truth that then Hiccup discovers and acknowledges and then works with. Because then it, it, it's echoed when Astrid is talking to him after his dad takes Toothless to go find the nest. Astrid's talking to him. Why didn't you kill the dragon? And she's helping him sort out that he's not a dragon killer. And that he's acknowledging that, accepting that, and that he's going to run with that by doing something crazy, but taking a different path. And I just loved how that was consistent throughout the story. We didn't have a big character arc for this character, but we still had a revelation and a moment of truth that I thought was really good. I, I think one of my favorite parts of this is that this story is full of setups, which are beautifully paid off. Every single one of them. We have a setup at the beginning that is paid off throughout the course of the film in a really satisfying way. Oh, yeah, I agree with all of that. You touched on a couple of things that I, did, I either didn't notice or just kind of peripherally saw without really calling it out. But one was the teamwork message. That was like another thing, right? Another theme that had sort of been running through the story where... He's kind of on his own at the beginning, and then he gathers everybody at the end, or rather they, they volunteer, and he's like, okay, let's do this together. Um, that's another good message that was in there that you pointed out. I like that. And also the, the having someone basically kind of point out to the character who they are right at the start or what they need to do at the start. That was, that was another good note. I like that. So is there anything that you might have changed as a writer? Yeah, there's the, the one thing I noticed, and I, I'm not sure how to address this, because overall I think the movie works really well, you know, and you, you, when you tweak something that is already working, you know, might end up making it worse. But <laughs> I might crank up the tension and the threat of the huge dragon, because as it is, it just kind of exists there, right? It doesn't really do much. Uh, even with the even with the other dragons, they feed it, but it's not the antagonist. Like if you look at it as the antagonist of the story, it's not really actively doing anything. Um, and if it had been more active, like attacking a neighboring village or something like that, to create this looming threat, like maybe it's destroying you know villages and it's getting closer to them or something, to kind of like okay, time's running out, we got to deal with this threat, or maybe they don't even know, but we as the viewer know what is going on. Because currently it just seemed like the threat was more focused on Hiccup being found out by his dad. So it's kind of like this split antagonist where on one hand you have the, the big bad dragon, you know, at the end that they deal with. But the other antagonist is kind of like the the norms of their culture as exemplified through his father. Yeah. So like that was the one that was the, the, the main thing really, right, <laughs> that carry, carried through. Whereas this other thing was kind of a side antagonist that ended up being there at the climax also. So I would have liked to have seen just a little bit more tension there. Like I said, it's a small thing. The movie, I feel like it works really well as is. So I don't know if it's necessary. It's just something that I noted. What about you? Did you see anything that you would improve? You know, it's funny because my focus was also on dad. And I think your point is really well taken that the dad is is un I think unintentionally framed as an antagonist because we need to assume 
that he cares about Hiccup. But his behavior doesn't really demonstrate that. At least I don't think very well. And I'd be really happy to hear if you, you know, if you disagree with me on this. Yeah, he, he, t- he says he wants to protect the village. He's got a village to feed. That's why he needs to protect the village from the dragons. And he also apparently needs to protect the village from his son, who apparently kind of runs amok a bit. And is, is yeah. constantly communicating in one way or another to his son how he is not good enough. And I would think I would have liked to have seen some moment of softness from him towards Hiccup before Hiccup, like, changes. Like, he got, he got all soft and excited when Hiccup apparently became an expert at dragon fighting. But I would have liked to have something just to say, you know, you're all I've got left. I've got to keep you safe. Because, you know, the mom is gone. Or just something soft, that, a little soft to, to see that demonstrated love and affection for his son. Now, maybe I missed it. Maybe I was too focused on other things. I don't know. What do you think? I think you're right. I think you're hitting on something that maybe is what I was feeling in wanting more of the external threat. Yeah. Because I think you're right. Because even when he, you know, he talks with them, he's like, oh, we're going to have a talk. He doesn't really have a conversation. He just completely talks over Hiccup and says what he wants and what his vision is. And you're right. We don't get we don't get a lot of chance to really latch on to him as a character that we particularly like and are rooting for. So yeah, maybe I kind of subconsciously felt that as well, which is why I wanted a ramp up of external te- like tension everywhere. If we had combined these two notes, right? Like if we yes. had added a little bit of that softness there and then cranked up the tension externally. Yes. I think maybe it would work just a little bit better. But as you said, quite rightly, it's such a minor thing. The, the, the movie yeah, it really is so well. And it's not yeah. hard to infer the affection. You can infer it. You can say, okay, well, that's his dad and he does care about him and he wants to make sure he's not killed by dragons. I mean, you can go ahead and infer it. I would have just liked to have heard it, but maybe that's just a bias of mine. No, I agree with that. So what are your takeaways from How to Train Your Dragon as a writer? Uh, my main takeaway is something that we, didn't, we haven't spoken about, which is using secrets to create tension. I mm, think that worked really yeah. well in this story, right? It's like his whole thing, like almost his whole life is a secret. Like he he lives his life, but it's like his father doesn't really want to accept it. And then... Once he meets Toothless, like, th- like keeping that secret is like this huge important thing because he knows they're going to kill him and he'll be potentially booted from society for, you know, bonding with a dragon versus trying to kill the dragons, which is like what these people do. So like that secret builds tension, not only with his father, but with the other people in the village, the girl that he likes. So I, I, I think that was a huge part of the tension. And that's something I think I need to keep in mind when writing stories because secrets tend to work really well for that. What is your big writing takeaway? Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, My takeaway is uh, I was just such a fan of the clever use of language. Just even from, as an example, at the very beginning when Hiccup's doing the voiceover and describing Burke, he said, you know, what we have to deal with are, are, are pests. And those were the dragons. And at the end, he said, what we have to deal with are our pets. 
And that was the dragon. Yeah, that was like, great. Oh, this is such a clever use of language. And that clever use of language is throughout. And I really enjoyed that. And the other thing is something that I've already mentioned, which is just the wonderful attention paid to the setups and the payoffs. It was just so artfully done. That is something that I aspire to in my, in my writing, is to just really craft the setups and then pay them off in a really satisfying way for my readers. Yeah, that's a great note. I think uh, also, I mean, this isn't necessarily story writing, although I think the writing was very sharp and the dialogue was very sharp. Kudos to all the, the voice actors because they, yeah. they just did a great, great job in bringing this to life. Agreed. Thank you for joining us as we talked about the story told in the 2010 film How to Train Your Dragon. Also, the two sequels, and there's like a bunch of little specials too, are also really good, in my opinion. I agree. And did you hear that there's, I think, a live action movie in the works? Oh, I didn't hear that. Is that it going be to be really uh, like a, a live action version of the first movie or like a different story in that universe? I don't, I don't know. I just heard about this last night as I was watching a different YouTuber talking about Lord yeah. of the Rings and mentioning that there's a live action. So cool. Wow. I'm looking forward to that. That seems kind of risky, though, because you, you know all the characters you know, with their voices, and there's no way they could get those actors to play those parts. So that'd be well, interesting to see how they pull that off. And we want to say a big thank you to our Patreon supporters and all our subscribers. We're so grateful for your support and your encouragement. The Stories Told podcast is available on multiple podcast platforms, and we thank you for liking and subscribing or following, depending on where you're listening. It may not be a big deal to you, but it means a lot to us. You can find Michael Grayford at michaelgrayford.com and E.W. Barnes at a thousandyears.com, and those links are in the show notes. Join us next time as we discuss the story told in the movie Galaxy Quest. Thanks a lot, Mike. This was a lot of fun. Yeah, this was great, and I'm looking forward to next week as well. As am I. And we'll see you next time on the Stories Told Podcast. <laughs>